my heart is so in this because when people can't walk because their foot yeah. hurts, yes, it, it's it's brutal. It's painful. It it hurts me because I know what it did for my mental health and my mental capacity, and still does every day. So you know, I don't think we need to make it harder than it is. We just need to get up and walk a little more. As children, most of us are born into the world with two happy, healthy feet. They move, bend, and push just like they were designed to. But over the years, whether it's through bad shoes, lack of motion, or flat-out weakness, we tend to lose those ideal foot mechanics, and the downside can mean a negative cascade of events throughout the body. As someone that not only had foot issues herself, Dr. Courtney Conley was always interested in feet and how to get herself out of pain. This led her down a path of not only chiropractic school, but also working in an orthotic lab early in her career. So how do you imagine she felt when she came to the stark realization that the product she was creating was actually blocking normal foot function? That realization, combined with an insatiable thirst for knowledge on everything feet, brought her to where she is today. Dr. Courtney Conley is the founder and creator of Gate Happens, where she has the opportunity to truly realize her dream of helping as many people as possible reclaim their foot function. She's an internationally renowned foot and gait specialist who teaches both nationally and internationally. Dr. Conley is a chiropractic physician who specializes in foot and gait mechanics. She holds a BA in kinesiology, a BA in human biology, and a doctorate in chiropractic medicine. But most importantly, Dr. Courtney knows feet, and that's what we're going to talk about here today. Now, if you're a regular to the show, welcome back. As always, love and appreciate you. And if you're new here, welcome. I'm Mike Robertson, and this is the Physical Preparation Podcast. In this show, we take deep dives into the art and science of coaching, cueing, program design, business, and personal development. Basically, anything to help you become a better trainer, coach, or rehab professional. Now, as someone who has dealt with all sorts of athletic injuries along the way, turf toe, ankle sprains, bruised heels, you name it, I couldn't wait to get Dr. Courtney on the show to talk about the foot. And even if you know nothing about feet, that's totally cool, because we're going to start with the basics and build up from there. For instance, what do good gait mechanics look like? And what are the various phases of gait? How does Dr. Courtney assess the foot and foot function? And on the flip side, what are some self-tests that you can do to see how your feet are actually moving? Once we have that foundation, we'll get down and talk some brass tacks. For instance, we'll talk about high gear and great toe function and why that's so critical to proper movement. We'll talk about why you shouldn't classify people as pronators or supinators. In one of my favorite segments, we talk about the role of strength in foot function. I mean, what professor in college told you that foot strengthening is actually important? And last but not least, we're going to talk about the role of barefoot training and if you are wearing shoes, the two must-haves that Dr. Courtney looks for in all her favorite shoes. Look, this was just a fantastic episode. I learned a ton, Dr. Courtney is amazing, and I think you're not only going to love the show, but you're going to learn a ton as well. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll jump into this awesome new episode with Dr. Courtney Conley. Did you know that in any given year, 40% of the trainers and coaches in our industry will leave our industry? Maybe that's why it seems like almost every day I talk to trainers and coaches who are frustrated. 
Maybe they're frustrated with the results they're getting. Maybe they're frustrated because they don't have trusted resources to learn from. And maybe they're frustrated because they simply don't have enough clients and wonder how long they'll be able to stay in the industry. So if this sounds anything like you, let me tell you how I can help. My Complete Coach Certification was created for trainers and coaches just like you. People who are serious about the results they get and know that becoming a better coach can directly translate to a bigger bottom line. This certification is going to take the last 20 plus years of my life's work and put it all into one massive course. In the cert, you'll learn how to use my R7 system to create seamless, integrated, and efficient programs for clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. You'll learn the exact progressions, regressions, and coaching cues I use in the gym to help your clients squat, hinge, press, and pull with awesome technique. You'll learn my streamlined assessment process that will help you determine the exact movements your clients should be performing when they come in the gym. And last but not least, you'll learn how to create relationships and build rapport with virtually everyone you train so you can get the best possible results. Of course, there's a lot more that I cover, but that should give you a pretty good idea of what the CERT is all about. Now here's the thing, spots for the CERT only open twice per year for a limited time. But if you join my free insiders list now, you'll be able to save $200 when my next group opens. To get on the insiders list, just head over to completecoachcertification.com. Again, that's completecoachcertification.com and then stay tuned for our launch emails very soon. Thank you so much for your support and I hope you'll join us when the next Complete Coach Certification launches. Thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Really, really excited to have you on. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thank you so much for having me. Big fan of uh, your stuff. So oh, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Um, a little bit about me. I am a mom. Okay. I have nice. a, um, she's about to be 12. Um, she's spicy, a spicy middle schooler. So <laughs> I have a spicy middle schooler too. I know what that's like. <laughs> She um, came home from school the other day, and this is, will be a good segue for what we're going to talk about today. She um, said to me, Mom, I don't know why you make me wear these platypus shoes and all the other kids get to wear Nikes. <laughs> so, <laughs> I love it. So love I'm it. sure we'll be talking about that later. But yes. um, yeah, so she's my, uh, my little pride and joy. I am a chiropractor in Lakewood, Colorado. So I have a practice here. Um, we have four, you know, kind of your wellness. We got four docs in here, some physical therapists, um, when we have a gym. So that's been a big, okay. a big, nice. um, addition. And then I started gate happens, which is my online consultation company, um, that we started about five years ago. So I've been, I feel very blessed to have been able to spread the word of, of foot health. It's, yes. it took off on us pretty quickly and, um, it's been great. So, yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, we'll come back to that. Before we go there, I want to get like your backstory. How did you get started in physical preparation? When did you start working out? Like what got you into just this whole world that we live in now? You know, movement has always been my therapy. Yep. Um, ever since I was a kid, um, my parents went through a divorce right when I was getting into high school. Okay. And it was one of those really formative, you know, it's a very formative time. And mm -hmm. I was just a, kind of a wild child and I was feeling all the things. Mm -hmm. um, 
and getting myself into some trouble and doing all that stuff. And I, the one thing I knew I could always bank on to feel better was movement, whether that was going for a walk or going for a run, or I was a ballet dancer. And it just, from the very beginning, I always remember that as being such an impactful and so necessary for not only my, you know, physical health, which I really didn't care about at the time. I mean, I was in high school. Right. It was more, I knew some, I knew it was making me feel better. So I just kept doing it. And then that's, it's really been, it's really carried me, um, through my life. And it's one of the reasons I ended up in Colorado. I had, um, a practice in Chicago for a while and, you know, it's a little cloudy there. Yeah. I mean, I love Chicago, yeah. but I, I just knew I needed something else. And, when I finally got to Colorado, um, the sun's out a lot here and I just, um, you know, you're in a bad mood, you walk up the mountain yeah. and I just wouldn't turn around until it changed. So it's always been a very um, important for my mental capacity and health. And yeah. I think that's why it's just stuck with me for so long. I love it. Are you originally from the Midwest? Pittsburgh. Okay. Okay. So I'm, I'm Indiana, just by and large. Yeah. Uh, but yes, the grayness can wear on you. Uh, we yes. had a pretty mild uh, year this year, but that's actually my sister moved out to Colorado a couple years ago. Oh, really? and that was a big part of it. Yeah, she's like, I just I need more sun. I need to be able to get outside and hike and do all those things. So very cool. It's it's makes such a difference. It really does. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Last but not least, really two part question here. Talk to me about your career path. You know, take me from high school to chiropractic school, all that, and then walk us through like what got you into feet. Because it's a very yes. like narrow topic, <laughs> so walk us through that. Yeah, I um I was a ballet dancer all from when I was a kid and all the way um through high school. Um, I was in the Pittsburgh Ballet Theater, and I spent a lot of time, obviously, on my feet in point shoes. I remember shoving lamb's wool in my point shoes um, and just thinking, "Why this hurts so bad." <laughs> um, <laughs> But, you know, we spent hours and then I, you know, I had bunions and I had foot pain. And then once I gave up the ballet, I started, I was a triathlete. Um, So then I did all the running, swimming and biking. Um, And I just couldn't seem to get over this hump of continuous foot injuries um, from bunions to neuromas to a stress fracture. Um, and so coupled with that, and then my love for movement, I was like, all right, let's get in, let's get into a field where we can help people. So I went to chiropractic school and we had, I think we had a half a semester of foot and gate yeah. education. That was it. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, this is all we're getting. Right. Um, and then orthotic companies would sponsor this chiropractic schools. Mm -hmm. So every student, we get free orthotics and you know, that's what we did. We had a half a semester of learning and, and free orthotics. (laughs) You're indoctrinated, right? (laughs) And I was like, Oh, okay. Um, and so I got out of school and I started treating the feet and became obsessed with it. Um, and I ended up, um, you know, really dispensing a lot of orthotics. That's what we knew to do. It was, you have foot pain. I got very good at looking at someone's foot and figuring out, oh, how do we brace this thing? Yeah. Um, 
And this was in Chicago. And then when I moved to Colorado, I ended up working in two orthotic labs. So I was doing my, you know, foot and gate work, but then I was working in the orthotic lab. So it was a constant back and forth. Um, and I really thought at the time, you know, you're doing the best that you can for the patient. And in the meantime, I'm wearing these orthotics. I'm training for my races and I'm going, something is not working here. Right. Because we'd be posting my orthotic and then my knee would hurt. And then I'd take out the post and then my, you know, and it just wasn't something wasn't working. So through kind of self-exploration, I just thought to myself, um, the foot has more muscles in it. We have four layers of intrinsic muscles in the foot. Like, what am I doing here? I would never brace my back for this long. Right. And so I started to play around and then I started to do my own research and surround myself. You know, you stand on the shoulders of giants and just having lots of conversations. And I started to pull myself out of them and focus on my foot strength and foot health. And then things really started and it happened pretty quickly. Really? Um, And I started to integrate that into with my patients. And I was like, I think we're onto something here. Yeah. Okay. So it's been quite the kind of journey with all of that. Yeah. Okay. So I already want to go off script because this is super interesting to me. Uh, it reminds me of something, you know, I dealt with a knee issue. This is probably like 2005. I was powerlifting and couldn't quite figure it out. And it led me on this path of, you know, all the traditional things that they say to do aren't working. Uh, so I'm interested in that time. You talked about this self-exploration, like what were some things that you do? Like, were you just trying stuff on yourself? Were you reading research? Like, what were you into at that point in time that started to take you down this other path? Well, I think it was, I've always felt, you know, when I'm standing on my feet, how do I feel? You know, yeah. being in the the background that I was, you're kind of aware of how your body's feeling. And I remember taking my shoes off and just balancing. And I'm like, well, I feel a lot better when I'm balancing without all this stuff underneath my foot. Right. Uh, And to this day, that's one of the assessments, like when I talk to my patients, because our clients will have been in, um, you know, really thick cushion shoes and orthotics for a very long period of time, as was myself. And, you know, to have these conversations can be difficult, but every single time, like, just take your shoe off and just balance and tell me what you feel. Mm -hmm. What does your foot feel? Yeah. So it were, it was little things like that. And then I started to play around with, I'm going to, you know, take this orthotic out for a little bit and see what happens. And it was a, you know, gradual process. Um, and then, yes, it was a lot of reading and saying, well, we can look at how strong the foot can get. And now the research is just flying. I mean, it's, it's coming out now. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. So I just want to hear your answer on this and it's kind of a warm up question, but I'd love to hear just your thoughts. How big of an impact does the foot make on performance? I mean, uh, <laughs> I mean, you've created a whole business around it. Yeah. I, okay. So a good friend of mine, Jay DeCherry, um, he's a big biomechanical clinical researcher. And he always said that you can't build a jet engine on a paper airplane. Mm. And I always think about that because we're always looking at like strengthening our core and strengthening our glutes and doing all of this stuff to put on a platform, to put on a foundation that can't hold us up. If you will. Yeah. It doesn't make a lot of sense. 
in if you look at the primary functions of the foot, they're twofold. One is to absorb shock. One is to become a rigid lever for propulsion. Yeah. So if you look at any sport, jumping, for example, when you land, you have to absorb shock. And the first opportunity for that is at the foot. Yeah. And when the foot unlocks, then you have this beautiful cascade of exactly what was supposed to happen of everything unlocking to absorb shock. And then from the foot, the foot then becomes this rigid lever so that we can be efficient to jump up. Yeah. Um, and I think you can apply that to really any activity. And it's that foot that's extremely important, especially when you look at sports like sprinting and jumping. I mean, that's power. The power is going to come from push off. Yep. Yep. Okay. So how long did you say you had uh, of like gait and foot anatomy and all that in school? About a half a semester. Okay. Well, I hate to tell you this, but you're probably a half semester ahead of most of us, <laughs> right? Considering like we never talked about the foot. Maybe yeah. we did in like clinical anatomy, like first year, you know, you talk about gastroc, soleus, that's it, right? So what I would love for you to do is help us all understand kind of the differences between normal and maybe abnormal foot mechanics. Uh, and I think to do that, you know, I'd like all of us to start on the same page by having that foundational knowledge. So would you just walk us through what normal gait looks like? Like what is sure. normal gait? And then go through kind of like the foot and the various phases that are going on as somebody takes a step. Yeah, I think the easiest way to think about this is the foot is a rocker. Mm -hmm. So when we're watching someone walk, it should be beautiful. It should be smooth. It should be efficient. And the foot has been designed to do just that. So there's these different rocker systems to the foot. Yep. So, and keep this in mind, there's a very big difference between a walking gait and a running gait. So I'm talking about walking gait here. Yep. Okay. Um, when we're walking, the grazing of the heel is important. There's a reason for that. Mm -hmm. Because it's that first rocker, which is heel rocker. When the heel hits the ground, that's like the braking mechanism. Yep. So the first stage of the walking gait cycle, heel rocker, is all about shock absorption. So we, I have my foot model here. Yes. So when the heel hits the ground, think of it as like, um, I like to equate it to a pole vaulter. So the pole hits the ground and they kind of vault over. Yep. It's similar with this braking mechanism at the foot. So you hit the calcaneus and then you start to vault over the foot. Yep. The heel starts to unlock and then the foot slowly starts to hit the ground. And I use the word slowly because it should be controlled. Yep. So I think when I, when I teach my gait courses, I always say, just close your eyes and listen because when you're listening to someone walk, you can really hear a lot mm -hmm. because when someone hits the ground hot and heavy, someone hits the ground hot and heavy and their foot slaps the ground, yep. you can probably be pretty certain that they don't have good eccentric control of their pre-tibial muscles. Okay. So that's tibialis anterior, your extensors. 
So I think especially at the foot, it really comes down to two things. And this happens at each rockered phase is adequate ranges of motion and eccentric strength. Okay. So at heel rocker, I control the rate at which the foot drops. Now, what happens if I don't have good strength capacity there? I have a tibial stress fracture. Um, I have shin splints. I have medial tibial stress syndrome because you can't control the rate at which that foot hits the ground. Yep. So you'll start to see those things. So then after we get to heel rocker, now I get into ankle rocker. And this is when I think all the magic happens. Because again, you're, here's that eccentric word again. As my lower leg starts to go over my ankle, it's now my soleus yeah. that eccentrically controls the rate at which my lower leg comes over my ankle. So again, we have to have a very strong soleus. I love the plantar flexors. And then our arch starts to drop. So we're still shock absorption here. What helps control the arch dropping? Well, now you have eccentric control of post-tib, for example. Mm -hmm. Big time player. So in the beginning of the gait cycle, you have all these beautiful things happening to absorb shock. And the, the more strength and capacity we have of these tissues, we can control the rate. Yep. And when we can't control that rate, and we start speeding through these rockered systems, that's when you're going to start to see, you know, repetitive strain and symptoms at the foot. Yeah. And then at, at ankle rocker, right? Now we have our body weight that's starting to drop the arch. Yeah. So now we're in pronation. And now it's okay. Now it's time to propel forward. Yep. It's, the foot's really cool, it right? Cool. Because... I'm going to um, talk about this little tie bar mechanism, which I think is one of the, it's a free mechanism of the foot. So when my foot unlocks, I'm an ankle rocker now. So now your foot is splaying. Yep. The foot should lengthen and widen at mid stance. Yep. When that happens, there's a ligament that runs across the metatarsals. When we, when the ligament is tugged on, if you will, there's receptors there that tell the body, hey, we're about to propel forward. You better get into a rigid lever position. It's called the tie bar mechanism. Okay. So it, the plantar fascia is right there. So it inserts right at these metatarsal heads. You have the deep transverse metatarsal ligament. So everything is just designed to say, hey, let's get out of pronation and let's get going here. So when we take a, take that away and we compress the forefoot, I'm talking narrow shoes here. Mm -hmm. You're taking away a free mechanism of the, of the body. Don't make it harder on yourself. Right. So as we start to propel now, now this is where all the load happens. So at forefoot rocker, I should be in a rigid lever. My foot should be compacted. And we should be very stable to propel forward. And that's why I think you see so many injuries at the forefoot. Yeah. Um, bunions, metatarsalgia, it's a generic, you know, diagnosis, but neuromas and all of these things because the foot has to be strong at propulsion. Yep. 
and they did a really cool study. Um, you know, the windlass mechanism. So the windlass mechanism is when you lift the big toe and the arch, you know, compresses. Yep. And they used to think that that was the primary reason of why we got into this, you know, rigid lever position that would allow us to propel forward. But they did a study where they anesthetized the intrinsic muscles of the foot and then looked at the power of push off through the first MTP joint and it was decreased, the power decreased. So what we know now, right, and I think we've known this for a while, is that as soon as that heel comes off the ground, the intrinsic muscles of the foot are big players in putting that foot into that rigid lever position, which I think is encouraging, you know, right. get your yeah. foot stronger. Yeah, yeah. You know, I hope you're done. <laughs> not not because I want you to be done, but because I want to chime in here because like you just hit on two really important points. And I think too often people miss the fact like, oh, like heel rocker is an important thing, right? Like very important. And you talked about shock absorption and distributing forces. Basically, every basketball player that I work with has the anterior knee pain. And what are two of the most common things I see? Either little or no heel contact whatsoever or when they get into that ankle rocker position, like literally they hit and they're through it immediately. Like it's so yep. fast, it's so rapid. So well, no wonder they all have anterior knee pain, right? Their ability to absorb and distribute forces from the ground up is significantly or negatively impacted because they don't have proper foot function, and proper foot contact. One hundred. You can't build a jet engine on a paper airplane. Yeah. One hundred percent. And I see. A, the, yes, that community too, I think yeah. could be very, very well served yes. by getting stronger from the ground up. Yeah. Very well served. Well, we do a lot of stuff the first month where they're just not in shoes. And immediately yeah. they're like, oh my gosh, like I just feel better. I'm moving better. I'd like I'd like to think it's the programming, but <laughs> I'm sure uh, <laughs> the, the barefoot getting them out of the shoes probably helps a little bit too. Okay, so something you mentioned, and I think this is really important to note too, Big differences from walking to running. They're not necessarily yes. one and the same. So could you kind of break that down and what changes when we move from walking to running? Yeah, I mean, it's it, there's a lot to it, but I, I think there's really two things to consider and that people always talk about is strike patterns. Okay. Um, so for example, you know, we could have a whole conversation about heel strike, midfoot striking, and forefoot striking. Right. Um, and people love to get in arguments about this too. Yes. Um, in a walking gait cycle, you want to be grazing the heel. That's what initiates that braking mechanism. Yep. In a running gait cycle, you know, there's a big camp out there that would say heel striking is a no-no because it puts too much load through the body. And I, I would argue that it's not necessarily how the foot strikes, but where the foot strikes. Okay. So when you strike, I think the, the enemy here is the heavy overstriding that can occur in a running gait. Yep. Um, if you can get your foot, you want to think about getting your foot as close to your center of mass as possible. Mm -hmm. And some, some runners are very good at doing that and they just compensate with a lot of knee flexion. So you, they can still strike that heel closer to their body. They just get more knee flexion out of it. Right. But 
when you bring your foot closer to your center of mass, most will adopt more of a midfoot or even a forefoot strike. Um, and then that's, you know, it just changes load, right. right? So you heel strike, you put load through the knee and through the hip and through the back. You forefoot strike, you put load through the foot and through the ankle. Mm-hmm. So it's just a matter of changing load. And I think that's important when we're looking at, you know, getting our runners back to running. Yep. Because if I'm a runner and I have an Achilles issue, maybe when I'm running and I start to feel my Achilles talking to me or I start to, maybe I adopt a grazing of the heel for a minute or so just to change the load. Mm -hmm. And then I can go back and, you know, so you can kind of play around with those things. And, you know, our running population is going to run anyway, so we got to find ways to to work with them. Yes. Um, And then I think... Another big factor with our running population is understanding that it's all about controlling rotation. Mm. It's all about how well we control rotation. If you think of, um, you know, the lower limb is a skewer. Uh huh. So when my foot hits the ground, we're fighting gravity. I mean, it's gravity that's internally rotating my entire lower limb. And that's a good thing. Yeah. Right. That's a good thing. It's again, this is our, you know, shock absorption. Runners have to be very strong to control that rotation because now I have more, I have gravity and I have more load. Mm -hmm. And I think from a a gait perspective, if we start running on our forefoot, which, you know, some would argue is the way we were designed midfoot, forefoot striking you better have a really strong system yeah. in order to be able to do it. Yeah. And, you know, I still, with my runners, my runners out here, I'm like, they just want to run. Yes. I, I, I was know. one of them. I know. Yeah. And, you ch- you know, the older you get, I was uh, talking to uh, Dr. Peter Maliaris yesterday, and he's a big tendon researcher. Okay. And I was saying, you know, the risk factors of, you know, our runners for you know, maybe reducing the risk of tendinopathies. And I said, what can we do? He's like, well, you just, you just get old. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, yeah, I was like, yeah, but you have to train for capacity. Yes. Yeah. So I think that's an important thing to consider. Yeah. Well, I, I just laugh because I've worked with my fair share of endurance athletes over the years and yeah, trying to get them to do anything other than just go out and go for a run can be like pulling teeth. But I feel like sometimes every now and then you get those little wins with them. Like, hey, man, just give me two days a week uh, in the gym. Let's do some strengthening stuff. Let's do some things. They're going to work on these underlying foundational issues that you have. And hopefully that'll keep you running at a high level for the next 15 or 20. Right. But it's it can be difficult. And it, it is if you can get somebody on board with that stuff, it's game changing. Yes. Yes. And then especially getting the foot strong. All right, we're going to take a quick break in this episode with Dr. Courtney to talk about the Complete Coach Seminar. If you're listening to this, you have less than one week to register for this awesome event, March 24th through 26th in Seattle, Washington. If you want to learn more about assessments, program design, coaching and cueing, progressions and regressions, or if you just want to hang out for an awesome weekend and get every question you have about training answered, we are going to do it at this event. 
So if you want to learn more, if you want to become a better trainer, coach, or rehab professional, head over to completecoachcertification.com forward slash seminar to learn more about the event. That's completecoachcertification.com forward slash seminar. Now, back to the episode with Dr. Courtney Conley. Okay, so in the interest of full disclosure, I've been stalking your IG page for a while now, so be prepared for all the nerdy questions coming up here. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. I know you are. I know you are. So one thing that you talked about quite a bit is the idea of a big toe push-off or high gear, as you call it. And I love like cool terminology that like resonates with people, with athletes. So kind of two-parter here. Number one, what is why, like, why is high gear important? And what are some of the common compensations you might see when someone doesn't have access to high gear? So when you think of the foot pushing off of the ground, if you, if you can visualize this, high gear push-off is when the majority of the body weight is pushing through the first and second toes, the first and second metatarsals. Yep. So the, the forefoot should be in one plane. I'm pushing through one and two. And then my rear foot is inverted. So it's in that locked position. Mm-hmm. The first metatarsal is twice as wide and four times as strong as the lesser metatarsals. That's it. It's just the way this thing was designed. Right. We were designed to push off of the toe that is bigger and stronger. Mm-hmm. And I know there's arguments out there about that, but it's just basic facts. Yes. So high gear push off is getting to toes one and two and the foot in that rigid position. A low gear push off would be if you can, if you were watching someone walk and you were behind them, instead of it looking like they were pushing through their big toe, it would look like they're almost going to sprain their ankle. Like they'd be pushing off their lesser metatarsals. Mm -hmm. And they can do that either um, to the side, like, you know, in the frontal plane, or they can spin through the foot in a rotational plane. So they're either going to push off laterally or they're going to kind of spin through. And those are both considered low gear push-offs. Um, so why would someone do that? Well, first they could have changes at their big toe. So with our athletes, we'll see a lot of turf toe, for example, Uh you'll see, you know, how, uh, and to be clear, I, I think a functional hallux limitus is very different than a hallux rigidus. And a lot of these athletes that I see, they'll be diagnosed with a rigidus when they still have some range of motion of that big toe that I really think can be restored with proper function. Okay. You know, it's a fine line. You have to make sure you're not impinging the joint, but with activation of peroneus longus and getting the foot stronger, if you catch those cases early enough, you can make all the difference in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, But if they have pain at their big toe at push-off, they're not going to want to propel through it, so they're going to go into low gear push-off. Ankle mobility. If there's restrictions in ankle dorsiflexion, for example, they'll spin through their foot and go into low gear push-off. I mentioned um, peroneus longus. Peroneus longus is a beautiful muscle that stabilizes the first ray. 
it drops the head of the metatarsal so that the big toe can extend over it. So what injuries cause disruption or dysfunction of peroneus longus? Ankle sprains. Mm. So your chronic ankle sprains, even, you know, your mild ankle sprains, that, that should be immediately assessed to see how the function of that tissue is and can they actually get to their big toe? Because if not, guess what's coming? Another ankle sprain. Yeah, yeah. So you just see these recurrent issues. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think the, all of those things need to be addressed so that we can get to high gear push off. And then what you'll see on the other end of that, if you cannot get to high gear push off and you're pushing off the lesser toes, you start picking a diagnosis, neuromas, stress fractures. If I'm pushing off laterally, mm -hmm. that's where those compressive fifth metatarsal stress, stress fractures can occur. Yep. Um, if they're pushing off the lesser metatarsals in more of a rotational position, bunions, mm -hmm. post-tib, plantar fasciitis. So that's why I'm not a big diagnosis person. You know, like, and I think, uh, I think clients get too caught on like, I have this, it's, hey, let's just fit, let's just improve your function rather than chase all this, you know, diagnosis around. Mm -hmm. Man, a lot to unpack there. <laughs> a lot to unpack because literally as you're describing these different low gear push off positions, I'm thinking, oh, that's a fifth metatarsal injury. That's a bunion. Um. I mean, would you mind just giving us a little insight? Like if somebody comes to you, I probably could have started with this earlier, but like, what does the assessment process look like for you? Is it as simple as like, hey, let's do a case history. Let's watch you walk. Like, you know, how in depth are you going with that? Because at some point you have to see them do these things, right? So you can say, okay, hey, this is, I'm seeing X, Y, and Z, and here's how we're going to go about treating it. Yeah. One of the things I love about the foot is I think it's the first place where you can see a aberrant load. And really the only place in the human body, mm -hmm. because you can see a bunion, you can see a Taylor's bunion, you can see a hammer toe, you can see these things yep. and you don't come out of the womb with them. So I know that you inherit, you have connective tissue things that you, we have, and there's genetic factors, but that's why I think tapping into the kids is where it's at, but that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> but I first just look at them. What am I seeing? Yep. And then we go from there. I ask them, how do they, when they're standing, where do they, how does their foot feel? What part of their body are they loading? And half the time when you have poor sensory awareness at your foot, they won't even be able to feel parts of their foot. They're like, yeah. I feel the inside of my big toe. I'm like, where's all your pain? My big toe. <laughs> so, uh, you know, a lot of it is just, I spend a lot of time on education. Hey, I want you to feel different parts of your body. Stop hanging out and loading just the medial column of your foot. Yeah. Um, and then we do gait assessment. So I watch them walk. I sell, say that gait assessment takes you to the stadium. It doesn't take you to the seat. Okay. So it's a tool to see things like low gear push off. And then I can say, okay, I want to look at the range of motion of their big toe. I want to look at the range of motion of their ankle. Um, and then we get into, you know, a lot of capacity testing. I think a calf raise is like, you can see so much, yeah. so much. Yeah. I mean, 
most, I mean, granted, I, I see people that have been in pain for a while or, you know, s- surgeries, things like that. But to do a solid calf raise where I'm like, yes, that's beautiful. I get excited because you have to be able to come up onto your forefoot. And I mean, high. I think when we do um, rehabilitation, often for, you know, Achilles and plantar fascia issues, a calf raise isn't a, it's not mid range unless that's what you're looking to do, right. but you got to get up on the ball of the foot. Yeah. And people will be like leaning into the wall or they'll bend their knees or they'll like be outside on their toes. And, you know, I think that it's a very, very good assessment to see what their motor patterns are. Yes. Yes. And I love those. I love those little tests. Um, and I think one of the other ones that is a big one is getting people to actually find pronation at their foot. Um, I don't think people feel what it's like to actually lengthen and widen their arch. Yep. And especially when you've had patients that, you know, have been, you know, they had plantar fasciitis 20 years ago and they've been in an orthotic for 20 years in like a Brooks beast. They, their, their arch hasn't lengthened in 20 years. <laughs> Right. You know, and then they wear the shoe at home and then they and then they wonder why things aren't getting better or they're having this symptom and this symptom because there's no load happening. Yeah. So getting people to actually feel what it what the foot feels like to unlock and lengthen is a lot of the work that I've been doing recently. Hmm. Super interesting and kind of fits in well here because, you know, a lot of times people will get diagnosed, right? I'm sure you've seen and heard every diagnosis in the book at this point, but people get diagnosed with having flat feet, right? And yeah. it'll sound like, oh my gosh, you have stage four cancer or something super serious. What I would love to hear from you, because I don't think flat feet are a bad thing. They're a part of the gait cycle, yeah. right? Uh, and for a lot of my athletes, they're performance enhancing, right? For certain reasons. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on just flat feet as a whole, and maybe why someone might present with them. You know, I, I have so many patients to come in here and that's the first thing they tell me, almost all of them. Yeah. I have flat feet <laughs> and I have to tell you, I have a, a little, um, it's called a pedograph. It's a footprint, like an old mm-hmm. school, like nothing, nothing fancy. There's nothing digital. It's you walk across this ink pad and you get to see the pressures on the foot. Okay. I cannot tell you how many times I've put people on there and I'm like, this is not a flat foot. This is not a flat foot. Does I don't it, like, know who told their you soul? that. Does it crush their soul? Are they like, <laughs> no, that's I've, I've had this like thought for 20 years. Well, I'm always like, who told you this? Right. And, you know, and listen, there are certainly very well-educated people in running shoe stores. Um, but there's some, you know, where it's like you go in, someone takes their shoes off. And when we're standing, if you were standing in front of me, most of us stand in a position of mild to moderate subtalar joint pronation. So it will look like the foot is pronated, which is completely normal. There's so many variations of the design of the subtalar, you know, of the talus and the articulation of the joint that we should not be all up in arms seeing this going, this is a flat foot. Right. Um, and then trying to block it with, you know, an orthotic and a shoe and a this and a that. Um, but to get back to your question with flat feet, um, 
it's I think it's like a it's like an epidemic, you know, <laughs> and, and, and it shouldn't be. Right. Um, there's a difference between rear foot pronation and midfoot pronation. So rear foot pronation is when it looks like the, you know, like I was just talking about, like that mild to moderate, you know, where the rear foot looks like it's caving in. And I use that word loosely. Don't yeah. I, I don't like to even say that word to my clients, right? Right. Those feet typically when they do a calf raise, for example, they can get into that rigid lever position. And that's when I know I'm like, you're all, you're all mine. Let, yeah. Let's go to town here. Cause this is a foot that needs to be stronger. Let's yeah. just get this foot stronger. Right. When you see midfoot pronation. So that's when the navicular, that's the, the highest, you know, the navicular is the highest point on the arch, the medial aspect of the arch. You will have patients that come in where that guy's on the ground. Mm -hmm. Luckily, you won't see too many of them, but they are out there. And that can be a little trickier because a foot that stays in that really excessively pronated position for very long periods of time, when once may have been flexible, has now become rigid. Yes. So it's a forefoot supinatus. It's it can be driven by forefoot and that's a, you know, we won't go down that road, but you have to really differentiate the two because one foot you're going to have really good success on strengthening. And like I said, you will see more of those, but the one where the foot is stiff and rigid and that midfoot is on is your pancake. Do you have to say, can I rehab this foot? Is it, can I, you know, and a good assessment for that, right, is I'll just have them, here's your pancake foot standing on the ground. When they take their foot off the ground, if I get a little recoil there, yeah, like I see that arch start to pop up, I get excited about that. I'm like, we can restore some of this. Okay. But if I go pancake on the ground and I lift it up and that thing stays flat, that's a definitely a more complicated flat foot case because now that has turned rigid yep. or has become rigid. And that's when you gotta, you really have to find ways to make them comfortable because that can be a very uncomfortable gait. Gotcha. Okay. So you've mentioned a handful of times foot strengthening. And I feel like there's a lot of ways we could take this and we're going to talk about barefoot training later. So I don't want to go there just yet, but just talk to me about low level foot strengthening. Somebody's listening to this show. You know, it's like the person that wants to go to the gym and start working out a little bit. Yeah. Right. Like, oh, I, you know, read these articles. And I know I should do a squat and a hinge and a push up, whatever. Yeah. What are some foundational foot strengthening exercise? Maybe somebody doesn't have pain, but they're like, no, yeah. I can see the value in this. Where do I start? Well, I have like some fun at home assessments that you can kind of okay. do, right? Yeah. So if you were just standing and you were going to lean forward, right? So your whole body would lean forward. Yep. At the tips of your toes, they should flatten and you should see what's called like a wink sign. So it looks like a little crease in the distal aspect of the toe. Mm -hmm. That means that flexor digitorum brevis, so the muscles of your foot, are working as you start to tip forward. 
Sometimes what you'll see there is people will claw, they'll hammer, they'll curl their toes. That is a sign that foot strengthening needs to occur. Um, which by the way, weak toes is one of the biggest predictors of falls in the elderly. So mm -hmm. it is a, it is a mandatory thing that we do in here for prevention as well, or reduce risk if you're not a prevention person. Yeah. Um, the other one is to take a, like a credit card and you're sitting on a chair, right? Your foot's directly underneath your knee, put a credit card underneath your big toe and have somebody try to pull the credit card out from under your big toe. Can you grip, hold the card there hmm. without hammering the toe? And when you press the big toe into the floor, you should feel your arch engage. You should feel like there's tension underneath the arch. Right. And then I take that card and you put it underneath two through five and you do the same thing. Can I press two through five into the floor and feel my arch engage there? Can I, can I hold that card there? And those are kind of, it's always very interesting to me because I have a dynamometer where I muscle test all of that and right. I get a nice number, but you know, people can't do that at home. Always. It is so consistent that the side that cannot do these things, I have plantar fasciitis, I have this, I have that. So it's a good baseline, I think, for people to do, to start at home, to get going on this stuff. Yep. And then from a basic, you know, if you wanted to just get started, I think dexterity, toe dexterity is important. Mm -hmm. Feel the foot, you know, can you lift just your big toe? Can you lift just your four toes? Can you get fancy and lift all of your toes and just tap your big toe? Can you just tap your little toe? Which, you know, shouldn't be difficult. Right. But it is. You talked about your daughter up top. Were you into feet when you had your daughter? <laughs> I was. And I have a funny story for that because, you know, when they're kids, they do those um, paintings at school and they put their feet on like, and yeah. then they make a butterfly with yeah. the soles of their feet. Yes. I have it. Um, I had it hanging in my office and everyone's like, oh my gosh, your daughter's feet. You know, that's so cute. And I'm just sitting there going, oh, she needs to be barefoot more. <laughs> <laughs> I need it. We need to yeah. start working on her feet. And the kid's yeah. like three. And I'm like, yeah. just stop Courtney. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. But, but I mean, like, that's the way we think, right? And you see kids and you see the amazing foot dexterity that they have. And then you look at your foot and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm a disaster. Oh, yeah. You know? Uh, yeah. Okay, that's perfect. Every and kid, every kid on the planet, the first thing they want to do is take their socks off. Yeah, yeah. Because they that's they want to feel the they ground. There's sensation. all these sensory receptors. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I love it, man. And you literally, when you started talking about those self assessments, and you're talking about hammer toes and claw toes. I mean, you described every athlete I've ever worked with in the history of ever. So, <laughs> you know, I don't know if I've ever seen one where you get them out of shoes and you're like, oh, that's a really solid looking foot. You know, yeah. so, so many of them, you're just like, wow, we've got some work to do from the ground up. So I think that hammer toe thing too, can be a huge window for assessment of what needs to happen. Because if you watch someone walk, mm -hmm. you'll see really where those hammer toes start to come into play. And one of them is that terminal stance. So when I go to push off, yep. my toes 
if I have a weak foot, I'll hammer the toes, I'll claw the ground to try to propel forward. Hmm. Okay. So at terminal stance, when you see hammer toes, it's flexor stabilization. They're trying to activate their flexors to stabilize their foot. Gotcha. So you know you got to work on their foot strength. Yep. Uh, then when you'll see it is as their foot starts to swing through in swing phase, if you'll see the toes hammer coming through swing phase, mm -hmm. you need to look at their extension, dors ankle dorsiflexion. Yep. Do they have good ankle range? Because that can be a substitution, extensor substitution, yep. to try to clear the ground so they don't trip on their toes and fall forward. Gotcha. Gotcha. So depending on where you see those hammer toes, terminal stance, flexor stabilization, or swing phase, extensor substitution, it's just, that's why I said, gait assessment takes you to the stadium and then you know right where to go. Yeah. I'm either looking at their ankle range of motion or I'm looking at the strength of their feet. Mm. Gotcha. Very cool. Okay. So one other thing that I was loving, and I talked about this before the show. I wasn't sure if I was going to say it, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, I love people like you who are focused in one area, but don't lose the forest for the trees, right? Like you're looking at the big picture. You're looking at how all of the body works together in this dynamic, cohesive fashion. So I loved one of your posts, and I don't know if you create all of them yourself, but the post that you had a while back about tibial internal rotation, right? And you yeah. talked about it before. Tibial like internal rotation as a whole is important. So would you elaborate on the need for tibial internal rotation and why it's an integral component of effective gait? It's such a good question. And I think it's so overlooked. Um, we, everything's about rotation and what starts the cascade of rotation is pronation, right? So the, the foot hits the ground. We have, different places in the body for shock absorption. And number one is at that foot when we go into pronation and then ankle dorsiflexion. Yep. When the foot pronates, the tibia can internally rotate. So those motions are coupled. Yep. So I have ankle dorsiflexion. My tibia starts to internally rotate. So now I get knee flexion and then that goes up the chain because now my femur can internally rotate. There's place number three for shock absorption. Mm -hmm. And that also allows contralateral hip drop place four for shock absorption. So when you start disrupting from the ground, these opportunities for shock absorption, and in particular at the ankle, and then not allowing that tibia to internally rotate, you're going to have problems up the chain. So that when I was talking about earlier about finding pronation, you'll see um, clients try to do this in the tendon of tibialis anterior would just be like, I'm like, settle calm, calm, right? I'm like right. petting it, you right. know, I'm like, <laughs> Stop firing this right. because if, if my foot stays in that very rigid position, then I can't unlock the foot. I can't get ankle dorsiflexion and I can't get tibial rotation. And that to me is a, is a recipe for problems up that kinetic chain. Hmm. Again, you pretty much described every 
athlete that I've worked with that has knee pain, right? Yeah. They they lack that tibial IR. They lack that pronation. So again, they just they they can't decelerate. They can't absorb yeah. distribute. I hate all the terminology, right? Like, can't some people want to say you can't absorb force, whatever. You know, however you want yeah. to think about it, absorb, distribute. You can't do those things effectively if you don't have tibial internal rotation. And it's just not yeah. something I hear a lot of people talk about, quite frankly. So that's why I was so excited to see you guys talking about it. Yeah, once you get it going too, it's, and I think you said a key word there too is deceleration. Mm-hmm. You know, controlling the rate. We, I always say that at the foot. It's about controlling the rate. And when we have these opportunities to help slow things down, like tibial internal rotation and being able to control that, I think it's just massive. We got to take advantage of it. Yeah. Well, you said it up top. It, the gait pattern has to be smooth, right? There's a, mm-hmm. an element of smoothness or, or rhythm. And so either sometimes people just won't have it altogether or two, Again, what I see a lot as well is sometimes they'll have it, but they just blast through it, right? So they're not really like slowing down. They're not letting things unlock, store energy, release energy. It's just like this rigid, quick, and then you wonder why they have pain. (laughs) You can see it. You can see it Literally, Literally, you can see it coming. It's cool. Yes. Okay. I'm excited about this next one. Barefoot training. Yes. All the rage. 10 to 15 years ago, right? Everybody had Vibram five fingers and was walking around barefoot everywhere. It seems to have cooled a bit since then. But I mean, this is your world. This is your jam. So I want to know your thoughts on barefoot training, barefoot running, anything in between. So I think it's interesting. And I was actually talking to Steven Sashin about this. And he's the guy who owns Zero Shoes. Okay. Um, That Vibram lawsuit kind of put a, a big kind of halt and what, you know, this barefoot running community was trying to do because the lawsuit was, um, you know, intended for, it ended up being an advertising issue, right? Mm. That they made a claim and then that was the, you know, that was the reason for the suit. But what it ended up being explained to the public was that this was causing injury, Mm. right? Not that it wasn't supporting something, but that, running barefoot was actually causing injury. And in fact, that wasn't the claim at all. So it's been interesting to see this world kind of recover from some of that because, you know, it was a, it did, it kind of stopped it in its tracks there for a bit. Um, You know, there's a study and I I sent this over to you um, looking at, it was a small cohort. So there were 28 people involved and they ended up having 20 people in the study. And there were all, you know, as with any study, there were, you know, certain factors that weren't there. There wasn't a control group. But I think the thing that was really interesting about this is they had 20 people that had symptoms of plantar fasciitis. And we know how difficult that is to treat. Yep. It can be extremely chronic. They can come back years later. Um, I forget what the numbers are, but I think it's something ridiculous. Like 44% of people can have recurring symptoms years, up to 10 years after an initial diagnosis. So it's just one of those things that can linger. Yeah. And our treatments in the past for that, you know, have been orthotics. And don't get me wrong, that therapy, orthotic therapy, can be very beneficial for things like this. Yeah. But it's therapy. It's I'm going to do this for a little bit and then we're going to look at strengthening your foot. 
So in any case, 20 people, what they had them do was run for 15 minutes barefoot on grass every other day for six weeks. 19 out of 20 of them, 19 out of 20 at the six week marker had a decrease in pain and at the 12 week marker. Wow. So call it what you will, but that is extremely like, I know that, like I said, that there's all these, well, there's always going to be, well, there wasn't a control group and there wasn't this, but at the end of the day, these people felt better running. So what happened? And when you look at strength capacity, and you look at strengthening the foot, that's what's going to help with these patients. Yeah. Because flexor digitorum brevis, the muscle where you actually get the spur and plantar fasciitis, not in the plantar fascia, you know is getting strengthened when you run barefoot. It's load. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting, especially when we talk about like, we need to load our squat and we need to load our deadlift, but we don't want to load our foot. Right. You know? It's the tissue is no different in the foot than it is everywhere else, but that load has to be very slow and progressive. You would never tell someone to squat a hundred pounds today, and then they're going to squat 200 pounds tomorrow. Right. So as far as the barefoot running, I, I think that it's not for everyone. If you've had surgeries or traumas, or you have a forefoot, where they're, you know, you're trying to decrease the progression of your bunions, or you have, you know, there's been changes to the foot, you need to be wise, the structure has changed. Sure. Can you still benefit from strengthening a foot? Absolutely. But I think getting into that type of running is certainly, um, you know, how we were more designed to run. Yes. And I, I think there's ways to meet everybody where they are with that. Yep. You know, um, if you're not going to barefoot run, you better be running in some type of shoe that allows your foot to be in a functional position. Yes. So I'm a big, big fan of wide toe boxes, for example. So you can still like, here's the spectrum of barefoot to, we can still live in this functional foot world it doesn't necessarily have to be barefoot yep but you can still get the benefits of improving your foot strength of adapting this running gait position if you will to strengthen the body strengthen the foot and you know reduce the risk of injury yeah i mean i just think it's such a more powerful way to look at things too versus i think so many times with feet we've just been conditioned to like you started right it's like oh get a better shoe Oh, get an orthotic, you know, versus yeah. being able to kind of unpack that and be like, wait, what can I do for myself, right? That's going to help my foot better function better outside of all these other things, right? And and look, I'm sure you've seen them <laughs> probably more than I have, but like you've seen some feet where the structure does dictate function, right? And the structure yeah. is significantly altered. The rules are different. But for a lot of people that are listening and maybe working with people, hey, you know, there's a lot of stuff that you can do low hanging fruit that can probably make yes. a big impact on how people move and feel. Oh, I think it's huge, especially with this, you know, we talk about physical performance. 
you know, we're always looking for that one, one other thing to take it to the next level. This is such an easy win. I think when you start to look at getting stronger from the ground up, because a lot of it has never been addressed. I can't tell you how many people and athletes I've looked at that. I'm like, I can't, you're running an ultra and you can't give me 20 single leg calf raises here. Yeah. Yes. It's a, it's a low hanging fruit, just like you said. And, and one that can have very, very good implications for future uh, performance. Agreed. Okay. Courtney, big question time. If, okay. If you could alter the space-time continuum and give young Courtney <laughs> Conley one piece of advice, what would it be? Oh, how much time do you have? Um, the biggest thing I think would be um, to get some weights in my hand. Okay. I think as a young um, female athlete, um, we just, we never talked about it. And I think even now I'm in the process of, um, designing a strength training program for young girls, um, sparked by my daughter. And, um, you know, I just think it would help so much. And that also means down at the foot. Like, I wish I'm like, mom, put me in the right shoe. It would have saved so much. Like the being, you know, take the time back and you put kids in the right shoes. Yeah. I'm probably out of work. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Because you put their foot in a position they want to be in, their foot gets strong, their mechanics look good, they can start to add load, and then it's just, you know, we don't have these evolutionary mismatches. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I think we're seeing. I think we're seeing especially at the foot a lot of evolutionary mismatches. We weren't, you know, these high numbers of cases with these diagnoses at the foot we weren't designed to see. So yeah, that's what I would do. Is, and I still yell at my mom for putting me in point mm-hmm. shoes. Like, why'd you, why'd you do that to me? Right. Right. <laughs> Look, it's, it's probably not the, the best litmus test, but I think something that I always come back to when I'm concerned or I have questions about something is like, what would I have had to do 200 years ago? Right. Yeah. So like, well, chances are I wouldn't sit at a desk for 12 hours a day, 200 years ago. Right. I wouldn't have had fancy shoes, whatever. It's like you kind of put things through that filter of, okay, how can I get my body back to more of that? Right. Yep. Like it's probably not the best filter and I'm sure the naysayers will, will have their, their gripes with that. But I think it's a pretty good filter to like, Hey, how do we get back to some of these base level, uh, movement foundations that we've really frankly lost over the last 40 to 50 years. So, and I think we make it harder than it needs to be. I mean, yes. One of the reasons I'm so passionate about this is one of the best things with the panacea of medicine is going for a walk. Yeah, I know. Right? Like just go for a walk. And that's why it like my heart is so in this because when people can't walk because their foot yeah. hurts, yes, it, it's, it's brutal. It's painful. It, it hurts me, you know, because I know what it did for my mental health and my mental capacity and still does every day. So you know, I don't think we need to make it harder than it is. We just need to get up and walk a little more, you know? Agreed. Agreed. Okay. Last but not least, got our okay. lightning round. So four fairly short questions. Okay. Your answer can be as long or short as you like. Number one, favorite thing about Colorado? Oh, I'm looking at it right now. The sun. Yes. I'm, di- I'm, di- I'm dying like to get out there. 300 days out of the year, right? <laughs> yes. That's awesome. And it's an all-season state, you know? Like you're doing something outside all year round. Yeah. I love it. Okay. Number two obviously super successful with gate happens the ig all that um 
like what was the impetus obviously you've been into feet but like what was what yeah. was like the moment when you're like no i'm doing this i'm going to create this and it's going to be a thing um when i saw how what an impact it had on my life yeah personally and physically and then it, it's I, to this day when i talk to my patients um it's like their eyes light up yeah. because this is information that they have not heard even if they've had multiple surgeries or they've had it, it's sometimes it's just as simple as putting them in a shoe that feels good on their foot which is just allowing their foot to splay yeah. and i that will never get old to me i my happy place is coming into this office and educating on this stuff because i think it, we still have a lot of work to do and i i i that will never get old i love it yeah Okay, I'm going to put this out there. And if you want me to edit it, I will. Because I know people like you, obviously, you've got a huge audience, right? And I'm sure there's a lot of people that want, you know, your influence or they want your thoughts on shoes. Is there just like a general shoe that you like or that you're willing to share with us? Um, ben Onig is, one, is a researcher. He's up at the University of Calgary. And he has done a ton of research on footwear. Okay. At the end of the day. The best shoe, because we get this asked all the time, yeah, is the one that is the most comfortable on your foot. Okay. Now, with that being said, you're gonna it, it. You can't argue that a foot that allows your that a shoe that allows your foot to be in a functional position, so there's room in it, and you're not you know in a heel to toe drop of ten millimeters, yes. is going to be less comfortable. So that's where it's a very easy sell as far as footwear for me, because I'm like, listen, just put this on your on your foot and tell me how comfortable it is compared to what you're wearing now. So with that being said, I always meet the patient where they are. My non-negotiables for footwear is a wide toe box. Number one. Yep. And ideally putting their heel and toe on the same plane. I love that. I, I mean, yeah, I love that. Like those are two things I didn't think of it like that, but yeah, especially because we get so many people in the sporting world. They love, you know, I'm like, yeah. it's the equivalent of a high heel, right? Yeah. But it's just an athletic shoe. <laughs> yes. And you can play around with, you know, the cushion or the stack height, right? So people yeah. are like, well, I stand at a, you know, I'm, I'm at a grocery store all day and I stand on concrete. That's fine. We're still going to allow your toes display. I'm still going to get you on a level playing field for your heel and your toe, but I'm going to put a little more cushion under you, like, you know, an ultra running shoe, for example. Yes. And then once their foot gets stronger and then they're going to say, you know, I feel a little wobbly on all this cushion. Let me just dial it down a little bit. And yes. then you have that like transition that really will start to happen naturally because people will start to say, I feel better when my foot can hit the ground. Okay. Very cool. Thank you for answering that. Cause I'm sure I know if I'm thinking it, other people that are listening are thinking it like, yeah. what are, what are the, the general recs? So toe splay, the ability for the toes to splay and level front to back. Yep. Love it. And okay. on our, um, as far as footwear questions on my website, gay happens, there's a favorite product section. We have a list of shoes Perfect. and it'll be like athletic shoe, casual shoe, dress shoe, kids shoes. So everything, and they're all compatible with that wide toe box and okay. what we just talked about. Perfect. Well, I'll make sure I put a direct link in the show notes so people can find that easily. Uh, two more. Number three, okay. what's the most difficult foot issue you've ever seen? 
That's a good question. <laughs> Probably the ones that have had multiple surgeries. Those are the ones when I seen them coming through the door, because now I'm more on what can we do to prevent this from getting worse yep. and how we can prevent you from not going underneath that knife again. Mm-hmm. Yep. And those are the tough ones because once you start cutting into the foot and disrupting the fascial integrity and, you know, and listen, I'm not here. There is a time and a place and I sure. work with some excellent foot surgeons and I, you know, we have very good relationships because when they're done with the surgery, if it's necessary, then they come to me and then we start rehabbing and strengthening the foot. Mm-hmm. But when they have these surgeries and there's no care for the patient on the other end of that, of what needs to happen, those are the ones that I'm like, ah, you know, it's tough, but it's always hopeful. I mean, I had a woman in here the other day, she had four surgeries on her left foot and one on her right. And she came in and this is, you know, this is why I love what I do. She's like, I just want you to know that I took, um, it made me cry now, um, Mm -hmm. a walk with my husband for the first time in like eight years. And I'm like, wow. You know, so and it was, I'm certainly not putting her in a thin-soled shoe. Right. So I have her with some cushion underneath her foot, but she's in a wide toe box. We've worked on strength and mobility. And it's just, you know, that that's why we do what we do, right? Um, absolutely. Like, and, and I know you know this as well, but man, those tough cases, you learn so much, right? Yeah. Like, like you earn your money, right? <laughs> like you oh, earn yeah. the money that because these people are challenging, but man, you learn so much as a practitioner because the rules are different, right? There's yes. different constraints in play, more things you have to think about, take into account. They're hard and challenging, but man, they make you better for sure. Yep. Yep. Last but not least, what's okay. next? What's next for Courtney Conley? What are you working on? What are you excited about? Anything? Um, yeah. Um, I am, well, we're launching our level two course, so I'm very excited about that. So looking at, um, you know, our first one was assessing and now we're getting into treatment. So I'm excited about that. Um, but I'm really, I think my, the next couple years is going to be a heavy focus on the kids, mm. you know, and really starting to see what we can do because I think that impact there, like I said, and, but you know, will really change the course of a lot of what we're seeing now of this evolutionary mismatch, if you will. I'd yes. love to intervene there and say, how can we work with these kids now so that, you know, they can become better athletes with getting less injured, especially yes. with foot injuries and yes. things like that. So I'm kind of, uh, it's sparking my interest and I probably will never retire. I, my dad and <laughs> I talk about, my dad and I talk about that all the time. Um, he's, uh, 76 and he still like has his business and he's still, you know, yeah. when it, it's never, um, I never looked at it as work, you know, it doesn't feel like it most days, does it? No. And I feel very blessed to be able to say that. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, years ago, my wife and I met with our financial planner and, you know, they do the whole, Oh, when do you want to retire? And I'm like, Oh, let's just, you know, say 55. And my left, my wife, generally a little bit more reserved (laughs) laughs out loud she's like you're never gonna retire i'm like yeah you're probably right 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 yeah so i'm glad i'm with somebody else that gets that like i don't know i'm just wired i I enjoy it i love what i do so yep well courtney this has been amazing thank you so much for your time like you are such a wealth thank you so much like super fun to talk to where can my listeners find out more about you gate happens all that good stuff 
Yeah, it's pretty much everything Gate Happens. Our Instagram account is Gate Happens. Our Facebook account, Gate Happens. Our website, gatehappens.com. So it's it's pretty easy. I love it. That makes it very streamlined and easy to find. I'll put links oh, yes. uh, in the show notes so those of you that are listening in can find all of this easily. Definitely, I'm not just saying this because you're on here, like easily one of the most impactful IG pages I found. Not a one-trick pony, like so much great information and a nice blend of theory, like things to start thinking about and actionable stuff. So fantastic work. Courtney, again, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, my friend, that does it for this week's episode with Dr. Courtney Conley. Really hope you enjoyed it. This is such a great episode, man. I'm sitting there and I'm really trying to dual task. You know, on one hand, I want to like take notes because she's just dropping so much great knowledge. I want to learn more. But on the other hand, I got to host the show and I got to make sure I'm locked in and asking those follow-up questions. So, man, I can tell you this is one I'm going to listen to two, three, maybe four times because of all the great information Dr. Courtney shared. So really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, I've got one of two small favors to ask. Number one, if you're not already subscribed to the show, do that right now iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, the Amazon store, wherever you consume podcasts, go there right now, hit the subscribe button so you know each and every week when a new episode drops. If you are a subscriber or if you just want to go a little bit further, do me a favor and please share this episode with somebody you think would benefit from it. Maybe it's a friend or colleague that's dealing with foot issues. Maybe it's a trainer, coach, or fellow rehab professional that you know wants to learn more about the feet. Dr. Courtney is such a great resource, and I really feel like I want to spread her message and help her get the word out there about how important proper foot function is. So my friend, as always, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you, and we'll be back next week with our next episode. Take care.